Welcome to Ellison's Connects, the official podcast by Ellison Solicitors, where we bring together expert professionals from a wide range of areas to discuss key developments and trends. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Ellison's Connects. In this episode, we will be discussing rural affairs and rewilding. I'm Catherine Abbott, partner within the Rural Affairs and Wider Property Teams here at Ellison's, and I'm joined by my colleague, Lewis Barber, who is also a solicitor within the Rural Affairs team. Hello, Catherine. Welcome, Lewis. So what will we be discussing today? Various topics, actually all around property ownership and rewilding. So firstly, what is the market for rural and agricultural land like at the moment? What is rewilding? What is driving forward rewilding projects? What are the traditional ways of owning or occupying land that can be incorporated into a rewilding project? How can farmers and other landowners work with land agents and solicitors in relation to future land use? What role do solicitors and land agents have in the process? Are there any examples of rewilding projects in our region? And finally, how can the Rural Affairs team at Ellison's help you? So firstly, let's think about the current market. How are you finding the current market for rural and agricultural land in our region, Lewis? Thanks, Catherine. At the moment across East Anglia, we're seeing prices remain robustly high. We've seen, according to one index for Q1 this year, which is the latest data we've seen so far, there is over a 15% rise in prices for land across East Anglia. So that's very robust and higher than national average. We're seeing average prices just under £10,000 an acre compared to just over £7,000 nationally. And uh, we're seeing this uh, persist. There doesn't appear to be a significant drop-off uh, from the forecast we're seeing and obviously from the figures we're getting. So that's a consistent rise over the last couple of years in prices of land, reaching prices we've not seen for a few years. And the rise as well is the greatest we've seen since 2016. Do you find that this is impacting on transaction levels? Are we seeing more transactions at those higher levels or would you say it's more of a concentration at the higher end rather than the volume? Uh, we're seeing volumes come to market as well, but also a lot of private sales agents are reporting that aren't necessarily going on to the market. So the uh, level of land being marketed across East Anglia is above the 10-year average for the region. So transactionally, as well as prices, uh, they're continuing at quite a high level as well. Are you seeing new types of purchaser or tenant coming to the market these days? Yes. One of the main groups that are coming forward are regarding environmental purchases of land and other interests in land, which we'll touch on later on. And these are different types of groups, but one of the main purchases of land is regarding rewilding. And they're becoming a significantly growing player in the East Anglian market in particular, uh, as well as more broadly nationally as well. This is a question that uh, people will be pondering on and will have heard, no doubt, in the media. And what is rewilding? So from my perspective, rewilding means different things to different people. Is there a general definition that you prefer, Lewis? There's not particularly any one definition of rewilding, which makes it quite difficult to categorise as a a purchaser, notwithstanding what I, I did just say, but there is a definition with the rewilding society that is so extensive that it goes on across three paragraphs and shows five principles of what rewilding is. So Crikey. that's quite a extensive definition and encompasses quite a large amount of different purchases of land. Cambridge Dictionary, if we want a more straight down the middle definition of it, is the process of protecting an environment and returning it to its natural state. And in general, it runs directly counter to human attempts to control and cultivate nature. So from a broad principle basis, when looking at different 
purchases in the market that underpins that uh, type of purchase. Yeah, so sort of a form of ecological restoration aimed at increasing biodiversity, I, I suppose, is that's certainly how I've thought about it. But, um, but exactly. So, yeah. So there's quite a few definitions uh, out there, but there is a common thread among all of them that it's trying to use nature better or land in a different way. So in particular, one of the fastest growing areas of pricing in land in East Anglia is low usage arable land and it's effectively being bought up or leased out by environmental groups who are able to use it whereas traditional farming it's less valuable so it's bringing land into the market that may otherwise not be considered as desirable but for these new groups it is desirable for that yeah. particular reason and offers an opportunity to make it more economically and environmentally productive. So our next question was, uh, what is driving forward rewilding projects? And we've sort of hinted at a couple of things. Are you finding, Lewis, that rewilding projects are coming from a desire to focus on nature and climate to drive change or the recently introduced ELMS, the Environmental Land Management System? It's likely a combination of both. So, of course, the environment's more at the forefront of businesses and organisations thinking. And at the same time, the government has prioritised looking at environmental schemes as a way to use land uh, to meet their objectives of net zero. So it's now more economically productive to use land in a rewilding sense because of the ELM scheme, which, uh, as you touched on, is a new concept being introduced by the government. And that really has three pillars to it. The most relevant probably for rewilding is landscape recovery. The other two are sustainable farming incentive and countrywide stewardship schemes. But probably landscape recovery is the most uh, applicable if looking at rewilding group. And that provides an economic incentive to rewild when previously that wouldn't have been economically viable. So yes, people are, of course, concerned about the environment and that gets the group's interest. But there are, now there's an economic backing to it as well, which allows them to move forward and purchase or obtain other interests in land. Yeah, I suppose we've all um, heard recently the expression public money for public good. And I think this is where the um, ELMS system is um, being targeted, really, isn't it? Or that's the background to it, really. Exactly. And an ELMS is concept, which is quite broad. So it's worth looking into if you're interested in an environmental scheme examining what's out there and speaking to an agent to discuss what options are available for you. Landscape recovery, the deadline for applying for the latest grant funding is the 21st of September at midday. So if there are groups out there listening who are potentially interested in that funding, then it's worth uh, looking at professional advice to assist in that application. Moving on then, our next question was, uh, what are the traditional ways of owning or occupying land that can be incorporated into a rewilding project? I know that farmers and landowners can own land outright as free old owners or as tenants under a lease or farm business tenancy. Can you tell us about those options, Lewis, please? Indeed, they're the three primary ways of uh, owning uh, land in these circumstances. The first, as you touched on, would be as the owner itself. So if you were a landowner already, you may look to sell the land to an environmental group who are in turn looking to purchase the land. So they would become owners instead of you. They would purchase the freehold uh, freehold interest in the land. So they would be the absolute owners of it. And if they were to lease their land in turn, then they would become the landlord. 
So the landowner may be looking at sending a piece of land that's less agriculturally productive. So they would be the type of purchasers that may be considering selling their land to an environmental group and in turn environmental groups may be interested in that type of land, which typically would be a lower value uh, due to traditionally it being less economically viable to farm. Then there's the farm business tenancy, which would be for agricultural purposes. Now, if you're an existing tenant of a piece of land and you're considering diversifying as a farming tenant to include a rewilding project in the use of your land, then you should take legal advice on this because it may not satisfy the definition of agriculture in your uh, farm business tenancy. It may mean you're in breach of your tenancy. So it's important you do uh, speak to Ellison's rural affairs team um, and also look at instructing a land agent to to potentially renegotiate the terms of your lease so that you're not in breach once you are potentially not using the land for agricultural purposes within the definition of the Act. Thank you, Lewis. And um, farm business tenancies, I know that they um, can come for various different uh, lengths of term, um, period of occupation, I suppose, if you don't know the expression term. Um, so can you tell us a bit about the pros and cons of different lengths of term of your farm business tenancy? The two-year mark uh, for a term, so if a farm business tenancy has been issued for two years is an important uh, milestone. So if you're beyond the two-year term when you obtain the farm business tenancy, then you have a bit more security than if it's a period of time shorter than that. So if there's a tenancy for longer than two years, you have a 12-month notice period uh, from either parties to terminate the tenancy. Whereas before, uh, if you have a term that's less than two years, then it's a shorter period of time and provides less security. For groups looking to start a rewilding project, there is, of course, a significant capital investment that, as with any business or use of land, uh, often there is, there will be that capital investment. You have a period of time before you start seeing your returns. So if you have a farm business tenancy, even if it fulfills the definition of agriculture and satisfies uh, those terms, then you may uh, need to consider renegotiating the length of time of your lease because you will want to see sufficient uh, security in your tenancy not to lose your capital investment uh, by having to uh, leave the occupation of the land. So for uh, anybody who's considering a lease term, it's important that you speak to an agent. Uh, it's important that you speak to your solicitor to ensure that everybody's objectives align and that you can uh, confidently invest in the land without being concerned that you may uh, have the tenancy ended at relatively short notice. Great. Thanks, Lewis. Um, so we've spoken about freehold ownership where you're the outright owner. We've spoken about a farm business tenancy, which is uh, a tenancy linked to an agricultural use, also a business use. And um, we also have the third category, which is a commercial lease, um, which people may or may not be aware of under the Landlord and Tenant Act 1954. Is there any um, crossover between the two pieces of legislation from farm business tenancy and uh, commercial leases? If you're If you're an existing tenant and you and uh, no longer using the land for agricultural purposes, there is uh, a likelihood that the lease will be considered as a standard commercial lease, which is governed by the Landlord and Tenant Act 1954. The main challenge with that is that there will be a number of terms that would typically be governed by the lease explicitly that would not necessarily then be implied within to the new commercial lease that's 
emerged from the failed farm business tenancy. So for example, rent reviews, whereas a farm business tenancy by statute, if there's no agreement, is reviewed every three years, that is not necessarily the case in a standard commercial lease. Mm-hmm. So you would have an absence of a rent review provision if there's buildings on the land and uh, suddenly there's no uh, reference to how they're maintained, who maintains the structures, as often the case in uh, commercial leases. There's an absence of provision there. So while there's a safeguarding mechanism, there is uh, an absence of agreement on a number of provisions that could, of course, uh, lead to a dispute. Now, you can, of course, if you're a, a new tenant in a land, you've acquired a lease uh, interest in it, you can have a st- standard commercial lease, uh, even though it's previously been farmland, of course, and you would negotiate that via an agent and they would agree the heads of terms with the other parties for the lease. And that would be a more standard commercial lease from the outset. So if it was a new interest, it doesn't fulfill the definition of agriculture, then you would have a a commercial lease on uh, normal commercial terms. I suppose the other consideration for all parties, and this is where it's helpful when we're all working together with our clients um, as a team, land agents, listers, um, accountants, of course, um, we would also have to consider the planning position and uh, whether um, you know a falling out of an agricultural use into another use might trigger a requirement to obtain planning permission for a change of use. And if, of course, if that situation is uh, possible, then we're all here to help, uh, you know, um, waymark the landowners, uh, the clients way forward with planning as much as anything else, I suppose, in our in our working day, Lewis. Yes, plan- and planning in agricultural, uh, in the agricultural sectors became, uh, become a real topic of interest lately because of proposed changes by the government to planning legislation for yeah. agricultural businesses that is currently open to consultation where it'd be much easier to convert agricultural buildings to residential usage. And that's why a lease, if you're looking at uh, not acquiring the land, but becoming a tenant of it for a project, a rewilding project, that is why it's so important to have a clear set of terms agreed uh, between agents, solicitors, accountants and, and the parties so that all matters are covered. Uh, the potential for planning permission of uh, outbuildings on an agricultural site you want to understand exactly who would benefit from the economic uplift uh, from that, and you'd want that reflected in the terms uh, of it. Thank you, Lewis. Um, just for the uh, benefit of our listeners, um, I think it would be useful to explain the role of land agents and, uh, in fact, solicitors in transactions of this nature relating to future land use um, and rewilding projects. Could you give us a bit of background about the different roles that each party plays in, in the process? Yes, the agents are potentially the first... Uh, first professional contact an individual have when looking to acquire an interest in land. So if they were looking to buy or sell land or if looking at a tenancy or lease interest, then uh, to negotiate the terms of the lease, uh, either as tenant or landlord, the agent would be more involved in the valuation and the commercial terms of a transaction, be it a sale or a tenancy of some form. They would be able to advise both landowners and potential purchasers of the type of land that may be worthwhile purchasing, uh, that may be on the market that's suitable for a particular party. So, for example, an agent may advise a landowner of a portion of the land that's low agricultural usage but has high environmental potential and they bring that to the market for environmental groups or also uh, as an alternative they may negotiate a private sale or transaction if it's the lease 
as well that would be uh, wouldn't be open to the general market for bidding. So the agent would uh, settle on the commercial terms. Both parties can instruct an agent to act on their behalf, and uh, we would always typically recommend an agent yeah. instructed for a transaction to agree those commercial terms. And then we would uh, prepare the papers to ensure that the heads of terms are uh, reflected in the legal papers and the legal transaction and take our client through the process of uh, whatever that type of interest is, purchasing the land, conducting the searches, reviewing the title, reporting to them, and, and then ultimately moving to exchange and completion on that transaction, be it lease or uh, tenancy or purchase. Well, we know from our day-to-day um, dealings in the rural affairs team, Lewis, that um, it's so much easier to progress a transaction and to keep our clients' transactions on track where we work together, um, land agents, landowners, potential landowners, um, solicitors all working together, and also, of course, the accountants who would have to consider any tax implications. And uh, yeah, always the, the best way forward. So uh, team-wide approach, I suppose, is what we'd, we're looking at there. Absolutely. And uh, there's agents we can recommend if anybody's looking at uh, entering the market for acquiring an interest in land. Uh, we deal with a variety of excellent agents in the region. So if if a party's listening to this who's interested in uh, entering the market, then please do get in touch and we can make recommendations and assist them through the legal process as well. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Thank you. From our own experience, of course, we, we realise that... It, we're trusted advisors to our clients as as our land agents, and if we're all working for the same goal uh, on behalf of our clients, then then so much more benefits to our clients and their projects. Thank you very much. It's interesting thinking about rewilding projects and um, what our listeners may already be aware of. Myself, been quite interested in what's been going on at Wild Ken Hill in Norfolk and actually people have probably become more aware of that recently because of Springwatch being based there for a number of years. Also there's the big project which is known as the Nepa State which people might be familiar with but Lewis can you pinpoint any rewilding projects in our region that people might be interested in? Yes there's been a few quite significant sized rewilding projects across East Anglia and we have one of the strongest rewilding groups in the East, uh, called Wild East, who have the ambition of rewilding 250,000 hectares of land over the next 50 years in the region. So that in itself would ensure there's demand for rewilding projects over the uh, significant future. Some of the examples we've seen are, for example, at the Wildfell Centre, which is a 296-acre site near Braintree. That was purchased for, on the market for £2 million. And interestingly, that's been purchased by a national landscape and maintenance contractor who are using it primarily as a research facility and uh, educational facility. So that is an example of a rewilding purchaser who may not be uh, someone you traditionally think would purchase uh, land for that purposes, but they have created a large site for rewilding purposes uh, for significant uh, money. So that's the interesting aspect of rewilding is how diverse it is and the actors within it. Other examples we've seen, uh, Jordan's Farm in Essex, which is a site for 21 acres. And interestingly, they are selling portions of the land for uh, an annual price to businesses and, in, and individuals who want to help support rewilding projects. So uh, that's an example of a smaller site that's looking to be 
economically sustainable by uh, utilizing local businesses and individuals. And then one of the most significant sites is at Wild Summer Layton, which is a interesting project in Suffolk to rewild lowlands. And that's been started in 2016. So it's been going for quite a while and they have an objective of rewilding 820 hectares of land. So that's a large site uh, in the locality that we've seen. And we've seen as part of the pilot rollout for the uh, Elms Landscape Recovery uh, Scheme funding for rewilding projects uh, within the region as well. So it's very much a leading part of the country for rewilding and with Wild East and other interested parties looking at rewilding more land. I can only see that continuing into the near future. Sounds great. Thank you, Lewis. And finally, I suppose we ought to discuss how the rural affairs team here at Ellison's can help our listeners. Um, where would you like to start with that question, Lewis? We have a broad range of services at Ellison's rural affairs team that can benefit new and existing clients. We offer advice relating to land, your farm business, your estate planning needs, and if the need arises in relation to disputes and family matters. Interesting, actually, isn't it? Because if you're in a farming family or in the landowning world, I suppose, you you just don't know what you're going to need when. And um, it's, it's, it's good for our listeners to know that we're here to help them and we welcome them to get in touch. Thank you, Lewis. Thank you. And that brings the podcast for today to a close. I'd just like to thank everybody for listening to Ellison's Connect. Many thanks to Lewis for joining me in this episode. We look forward to sharing our thoughts with you again soon. We hope you found this episode insightful. If you'd like to discuss anything further on this subject, then please do get in touch via our website, ellisonsolicitors.com. Please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on our social channels to keep up to date with the latest news and insights. Any information shared on this podcast was accurate at the time of recording. However, we advise you to speak to your Ellison's advisor to make sure there haven't been any changes since. Thank you to podtalk.co.uk for producing this podcast series. <laughs>